This official podcast coverage of AusCert's 2012 conference is brought to you by Arbor Networks. Smart, available, secure. Datacom TSS. Discreet, niche, tailored. And Sophos, secured. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this final Risky.biz podcast from AusCert's 2012 conference. I'm Patrick Gray. Now, I had planned to post a couple more talks uh, today, but the ones uh, that I selected to podcast actually had some pretty significant audio problems. For some reason, the mixing desk in one of the rooms was actually really buzzy on the last day, and it wasn't something that we were able to fix uh, during the conference. Still, this is the 17th podcast uh, from the Osset event to appear in the RB2 feed, so I'm sure you all have plenty to catch up on anyway. Now, before we wrap up this year's Osset coverage, I want to say a big thanks to Anthony Lawrence, the Risky Business Sound Guy, who many of you met uh, while he was running around like a headless chicken at the conference. He did a stellar job at the conference, really above and beyond the call of duty. So, Ant, thank you very, very much. And, of course, the coverage wouldn't have happened at all without the support of our sponsors, three of them this year, Sophos, Arbor Networks and Datacom TSS. There were uh, two of us full-time working on this coverage for three days at the con, plus there was all the prep work on the Osset mini site. Big thanks to uh, Gold for looking after that, Gold of Evolved Development. Uh, then there were the intros, the sponsor interviews, a lot of them were pre-recorded. It's a lot more work than I think most people realise, and to justify doing it and putting in so much effort into it, we really do need that support from the sponsors, and they were happy to give it. So, uh, big thanks to Richard Byfield from Datacom TSS. Uh, go, you know, get your next pen test or red team engagement from him. Uh, Huey O from Sophos, go grab some AV off her. And, of course, Nick Race, uh, Arbor Network's country manager here in Australia. Go get some DDoS prevention for your big fat tubes uh, from those guys. And that's that. Uh, so here it is, the closing event from Osset's 2012 conference, the closing session, which is the speed debate. Uh, always a bit of fun. Uh, hosted by ABC personality and all-round nice guy, Mr. Adam Spencer. I'll drop you in here as uh, Adam introduces the panellists. Cheers. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our 2012 Ossert Speed Debate. I'm your moderator, Adam Spencer, and it's great to be back here again, albeit in the unfamiliar surrounds of a Friday afternoon. Previous attendees to Ossert and the debate would know this is traditionally sat on the end of the third day of the week-long digital love fest that is Ossert, but with this year's new format, the Speed Debate has moved to what I've always considered to be its spiritual home, the closing event on the final day. And once again, nine of the brightest and most opinionated of the industry will face off over the big topics with no quarter asked for and none given. And once again, it is you, dear audience, who will determine the fate of the topics discussed and indeed also the fate of the gentle, fragile egos of these nine panellists. Once again, we are using the app that you should have downloaded by now. It's Inventor this time, your conference app to facilitate your voting. So make sure you have your voting device at the ready. And I want to make it clear, I actually work at the ABC, so given that I don't endorse any particular product, I'll accept votes from iPhones, iPads, 
Blackberries, Android devices, laptops, desktops, anything with a browser coming from the cloud if you want. Abacus, carrier pigeon, Morse code, smoke signals. I don't care. I just want you to vote on the performance you've seen here. Uh, if you haven't used it yet, the Inventor is a fantastic application. It is so simple, anyone can use it, except perhaps the former CEO of Yahoo. But that's nothing altogether. Boom, boom. Topical material. Okay, let's move on. This is your last chance to sign in. If you haven't signed in to the Inventor app yet, You've got a couple of minutes whilst I introduce our speakers to get yourself on there so that you can vote. You've got to have the app up, then go to the More feature and then My Details, put your name, etc. in there, and you are ready to go. I was thrilled when I was invited to take part in this conference again. I did what I always do, went to the website and checked out the bios of some of the people who'd been debating this afternoon. And may I say, the website with the Star Wars theme, I like it very very much. I've seen all matter of would-be Luke Skywalkers and Princess Leia's queued up at the photo booth outside. I heard about Laser Man's impressive lightsaber show at last night's dinner. In honour of Star Wars, <clears throat> which surely must be the greatest and geekiest movie ever made, and in saying that I mean no disrespect to any fans of Anthony Michael Hall and Kelly LeBrock's 1985 masterpiece Weird Science, but in honour of the 35 years since Han Solo said, you're all clear, kid, now let's blow this thing and go home. I have actually included a Star Wars-themed question in today's debate. We'll get to that in a second, but first of all, let's meet our intergalactic, star-studded, speed-debating cast. Now, the first thing that struck me about our first panellist was his name. So there's a theory in Hollywood about how to construct action hero names. The theory goes that the best action hero first names should have only one syllable and be drippingly masculine. The second name should be two syllables and indicative of some sort of action. Think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Last Action Hero, Jack Slater. Think of Sly Stallone taking on the entire Russian army as John Rambo. Well, tell me you couldn't name an action hero Brad Barker, ladies and gentlemen. And then, but then I read further. I read further. Brad Barker works for the Halo Corporation. I thought, okay, I can see where this is going. So what does the Halo Corporation do? I went to their website. This is what the Halo Corporation does. And I'll use my best Hollywood movie trailer voice. Brad Barker is the president and founder of the Halo Corporation. It's a California-based corporation founded by former special operations, national security, and intelligence personnel. This is awesome. Brad leads a team of global experts in the fields of crisis management, national security, and executive protection, acting for Homeland Security and other agencies. Now, I'm not sure at this stage if I'm still at the Ozzert speed debate or if I have fallen asleep and woken up in the middle of a game of Call of Duty Black Ops 2. This is great. Regardless, I do know that if we are taken captive, he will deny all knowledge of our existence. Brad Barker, ladies and gentlemen. Now, our next panellist is an international expert in SCADA security. Now, I know that might be a little bit technical for a crowd like this, but uh, let me give you my understanding of what SCADA systems do. Obviously, I'll have to dumb it down a little bit for you, but uh, SCADA, or Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition, generally refers to industrial control systems, computer systems that monitor and control industrial infrastructure or facility-based processes. Data is collected by a series of PLCs, that's Programmable Logic Controllers, or RTUs, Remote Terminal Units, fed back through the SCADA network to the HMI, or Human Machine Interface, for monitoring and control. Yes? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Google. Okay. 
He's back from Canada for his second Oz cert. He wowed them this morning with his keynote, which asks, unicorns and air gaps, do they really exist? Eric Byers, ladies and gentlemen. Our next speaker's credentials can't be doubted. Not only is he a senior security analyst at OzCert, not only is he director of the Lunar Numbat program, aiming to win the $30 million Google Lunar X prize, he's actually achieved that holy grail of geek recognition, or as I like to call it, geek ignition in the modern age. He has spoken at a TEDx event on his passion for our returning to the moon. Marco Ostini, ladies and gentlemen. Our next panellist is a researcher in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Auckland, working on design and analysis of cryptographic security architectures and security usability. He's also an experienced speed debater. It's great to have him back. And fascinatingly, he's an expert on contactless payment systems. We're all starting to see these rolled out now for cab charges, phone cards, etc., removing even the need to swipe the good old magnetic strip to part with your hard-earned. I am basically resigned to the fact that by the time my four-year-old daughter is old enough to hit me up for cash, she won't even say, Dad, can I please have your wallet? She'll simply say, Dad, can you please come and stand within a three-metre radius of me and make sure you've got your credit card on you? It scares me, but that's progress. Peter Goodman, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the first to admit that last year when I introduced our next panellist, I got a little bit gushy. Let's be honest, there was hugging involved. But I put it to you, if you aren't going to show a little bit of love, for a man who's been at the forefront of virus and malware detection for a quarter of a century, then when will you? Suffice for me to say, the man crush is as strong as ever this morning. He unveiled for all of us his Kaspersky vision. And he's back for the speed debate. Please welcome Eugene Kaspersky. Now, before my grown-up responsible position in the media, I worked at the national youth radio station Triple J. And in doing so, I met my fair share of rock stars. Ladies and when I got to hear about some of their incredible backstage demands. You've heard the story. We won't go on unless there's 18 different brands of Scotch whisky back there. We want 2,000 M&Ms, no blue ones, that sort of stuff. What I love about our next panellist is this is his fifth consecutive speed debate. He truly is a rock star of the format, but he demands nothing, nothing other than his favourite cocktail of the day to help calm his nerves. This year, he's chosen a caipirinha. The national cocktail of Brazil, made with cachaca rum, raw sugar and lime. He likes his speed debates shaken, not stirred. Please welcome Scott McIntyre. I get the impression Brad's coming back next year. You should have known about that, Brad, yes. You cannot doubt the achievements of our next speed debater. A PhD from MIT a distinguished engineer at Sun Microsystems, a visiting scholar at Harvard University, recipient of the 2008 Women of Vision Social Impact Award. She's just been awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship for 2013. Reading her incredible CV reminds me of that famous Australian saying, pull your head in, pal. No one likes an overachiever. But anyway, <laughs> a big round of applause, please. Susan Landau. <clears throat> In introducing our next panellist, I could point to his extensive history presenting at OzCert conferences. I could explain the work of the Shadow Server Foundation as it tries to put a stop to high-stakes cybercrime in the information age. Or I could just refer to him by his newest title, conferred just last night. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the winner of the 2012 OzCert Award for Individual Excellence in Information Security, 
Sean Velasquez. We are not worthy. Our next speaker has 48 years' experience in ICT, which is amazing, given that the phrase ICT was first used in 1997, a mere 15 years ago. <laughs> but you guys are the experts. He's got a PhD in nuclear physics. He's an adjunct professor at the Queensland University of Technology, Griffith University and Bond. In 2003, he was made an officer in the Order of Australia for his contributions to cybersecurity in the ICT industry. Please welcome a legend in the world of cybersecurity, Emeritus Professor Bill Cayley. So if you're not familiar with the format, each speed debate has six speakers who will speak for only one minute each. Three will be in favour of the proposition, three against will go yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, and then we take your vote. In fact, you're eligible to vote even during the debate. As soon as I throw the topic up, the lines will be open, as they say. And the beauty of speed debating is this. The most public, uh, in most public speaking events, you'd see maybe one topic trawled through in the space of a conference. We get through six, count them, six topics this afternoon. What the session might lack in depth, it more than makes up for in breadth, and good-natured sledging. People who vehemently disagreed moments previously are just as likely to be alongside each other in the intellectual trenches moments hence. But one final important point. An esteemed group like this have many official and formal associations with a lot of organisations. Anything they say in the next 45 minutes is not in any way to be interpreted as the official position of the organisations they represent. I'll be honest with you, half the time it's not even their official position. Like any good debaters, they are arguing the case that I have given them and the side that I have given them in this debate. So please don't walk away from here quoting X from Corporation Y believes this as official company policy. We're here to have a fair bit of fun and get you thinking on our sixth topic. So please, big round of applause for our panellists and let's launch. Into topic number one, which is providing people access to their personal electronic health record from any device any time is more important than the security risks. We'll have Kayleigh McIntyre and Ostini versus Barker, Landau and Vlasis. Our first speech of the night, your one minute starts now. Bill, grab a microphone. Kayleigh. Away we go. Absolutely no problems at all. Here we are on the Gold Coast, surface paradise. You're out there, you're really having a great game down there. You're having a great time, a nightclub like that. Imagine the future with the PCEHR available, forget security, we can easily chat someone up and say, I'll show you mine if I, you show me yours. That's the future for PCEHR. Let's go for it. Okay, there you go, Bill. Well, and well under a minute, too. They're the best one-minute speeches I like. OK. The case against Brad Barker. Your one minute starts now. I don't think this is a good thing at all. I think that... Uh the type of healthcare information and things that you can get on mobile devices. We've learned left and right all throughout this, uh, this week that all of these have many different flavors of exploits. I mean, I wouldn't want any of my personal information on how frequently I'm visiting my doctor to get, I don't know, say a routine colonoscopy or something like that, or the fact that this um, visit might happen a little bit more than it's supposed to. So uh, I, think that, um, I think that this should be, uh, should be locked down. There you go, Brad. Thank you very much. Give him a round of applause. Brad Barker's thoughts. <laughs> In favour of the proposition, Scotty McIntyre. 
Do I get the extra time for these people? Who no, you do not. In fact, you just wasted four seconds there, Scott. Keep well, going. I, I know, but I, I, I disagree. No, anyway, sorry. Um, I would like to say that Hollywood heroes don't actually need doctors, right? So I don't know where Brad's coming from on this one. They always walk away. The rest of us have weird things happen in weird places. And the question's about security, not privacy. And really, this is an issue about privacy. And it's also about personal control. This is an opportunity for your information to be reviewed by you under your control without having to rely upon somebody else to decide, yes, that's me. Yes, that's what my polyp looks like inside of me. Sorry, Brad. Um, but I think it's really important to remember that that's what this is really about. It's your ability to validate, your ability to control, your ability to look at what you know about yourself, what your doctor knows, and to get the help you need wherever you happen to be. And let's face it, in Australia, 99.9% .9 of the things out there are trying to kill you, right? They're this big, they're trying to crawl an orifice that are not for crawling into, and they want to do you serious harm. So I'm just saying, this is a great idea. It's about privacy. We can do this. We can do this right. We're professionals. Let us make this work. Thank you very much, Scott McIntyre, bringing it in and with one second to go. To argue against the proposition, Susan Landau. I don't think there's any chance that it should be done. My doctor in my hospital can't get security right. I can't expect my husband to get it right. I can't expect my great uncle to get it right. This makes no sense whatsoever. And what's worse about the whole problem is that medical information is not just mine. When it reports that I have cancer, breast cancer, that's information that might be true, that might reveal information about my sister or my mother or my kids. So there's no way that we should make that information easily accessible because we're going to get it all wrong and it's going to be a disaster. Okay, there you go, Susan. Thank you very much. Short, punchy arguments. The final person arguing in favour of the proposition that providing people access to their personal electronic health record from any device at any time is more important than the security risks, Marco Ostini. Well, my esteemed colleague, Scott, has, uh, I think, already provided some excellent points. But health trumps privacy always. If somebody's sick, you know, in a yacht in Bass Strait, we send people to go get them, you know? If somebody's privacy is possibly a threat because they're in a nightclub and they're an idiot, they get no help, okay? Bass Strait, uh, earthquakes, if people are covered in rubble, we go get them because health trumps privacy. We don't say, um, you know, do we have your authority to go rescue you in this rubble? Or is it okay if we have your permission to go and get you in the flood? Health trumps privacy. And also, as Scott already uh, summed up, it provides both your doctors with the ability to have all of your medical history and context, and all your medical practitioners for that uh, matter, for, so for the occasions when you forget, but also helps yourself to make informed decisions. Health trumps privacy. Okay, thank you very much, Marco. That's the end of the affirmative case. You keep that applause coming. This is a good debate. Sean Balassas, you're the last person for the negative, last chance to rebut this. Take it away, Sean. Well, obviously, you know what side I'm on. I think this is one of the most silliest ideas I've heard in a long time. Sure, it gives your doctor access to your personal information. It also gives criminals access to your personal information. We already have so much compromised data out there as it is now. What, we're going to give them more? Do you guys know... Sorry. <laughs> Do you like to be extorted? Do you know what ID takeover is? Yes, please, thank you. <laughs> and I'll tell you right now that I guarantee you within 12 months I'll be going to megaupload.com forward slash data for the lulz dot ra and downloading all your information and sending you lovely phone calls. Okay, there you go. That's the end of our speeches. Give them a round of applause. I'll give you 15 seconds to lodge your votes, your freedom, your rights. Does health trump privacy? Do you like a good extortion as much as the next person? 
Will Bill show you yours if you show you his? Is Brad's colonoscopy a bridge too far? Intellectually, did Scott's arguments crawl inside your mental orifices and take hold or not? Let's wrap up the voting uh, now and let's see what the result is in our first debate. For versus against. Oh, looking at the pie chart, I'm giving that to that's been won by the negative in a pie chart sense. There you go, congratulations, Brad Barker. Susan Landau, Sean Velasquez, in a close one there, our second motion for debate. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Cloud storage provides providers such as Gmail, Yahoo and Dropbox have the right to use your data as they wish. It's Goodman, Cayley and Velasquez versus Kaspersky, Landau and McIntyre. Peter Goodman. Is there such a thing as a free lunch? Take it away. So in the beginning, we had companies like IBM and Microsoft, and their product was software. And then came others like Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and their product is their users, which they sell to God knows who. So we have, believe it or not, the so-called evil empire, which simply wants your money, and then the good guys like Google, who want you personally. So if you choose to use these services, expect to be monetized. Conversely, if you don't want to be monetized, don't use these services. In my case, for example, I've never used Facebook. I have a Facebook page. I have Facebook followers. I don't know how they got there. It wasn't anything to do with me. Uh, in the case of Twitter, use these things. These are paper tweets. They cannot be monetized by Twitter. I've just tweeted to my esteemed opponent that I'm right and you're wrong. Um, so if you sign up for these sites, expect to be monetized. And if you don't want to be monetized, don't play the game. This argument also available as a series of paper tweets. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much, Peter. We're now about to hear the, from the man who's been sent the preemptive tweet. First speaker for the negative, Eugene Kaspersky. Uh, well, actually, the access to this data, that could be just a term of um, the service, the agreement between customer and the service. Um, yes or no? <laughs> Maybe yes. <clears throat> Uh, but I understand this information, all this data, the personal private data. Uh, that's, well, that's too dangerous to keep all this uh, in the, well, some services which are not controlled by governments, as the private companies. And in the, in the cyber age, who we are? We are just a piece of information. We are not just humans. There is so much data which defines us. So I think that I recognize this uh, free access to their personal data as a digital slavery. So it's a, just the next generation of the old human slavery. So people who are voting yes, they could be slaves, traders 300 years ago. Okay, thank you very much, Eugene Kaspersky. <laughs> Bill Cayley's gonna take up the case for the affirmative. You've got a microphone there, Bill. Don't be afraid to use it, fire away. Here we go. Look, honestly, if I lend my motor mower to my neighbor, and I say, okay, here's a mother mower, uh, but under no conditions can you mow your front lawn. You can mow the back lawn, but you can't mow the front lawn. Hold on, I've lent him the mower. Remember, therefore, very simple rule. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to use that mower whichever way I feel like. And I must finalise by saying, but hold on a minute. We know that. When we go and put our data in there, when we go and do all those things with the Googles and God knows what, Amazons, etc., etc., in the cloud, then in actual fact, we deserve what we get. To 
honestly paraphrase that famous statement, there's a sucker born every minute. Thank you very much, Bill. Okay. It's heating up the second speaker for the negative. Do they have the right to use your data as they wish? Susan Landau? So when a service is free, you're the product. Think about what that means. We need to protect the user. Think of it as government not being big brother, but maybe big mother. In the US, we have all sorts of laws to protect the consumer, and you can't sign away those rights. You sign a contract where you sign away the rights, the contract is invalid. And in fact, government has a real concern with not, you not signing away those rights, because how can government function? How can national security function in a world with no more secrets? We need to have restrictions on how these free services work, without a question. Okay, thank you very much, Susan. We're down to the final speakers. Now, don't forget, you can already have voted at this stage. If you are really strongly swayed by a speech you've heard so far, but you have the right to wait until the end of the third negative, I'll give you another 15 seconds at the end of that. He was on the winning side in the first debate. Can he go double? Sean Vlasis, please, close this case. Just look at your terms and conditions. You know what you're signing up for. Um, do you trust them? I don't. Seems like Dropbox seems to have a lovely feature where they think authentication and authorization is a feature and not part of the actual product itself. And um, just look at what Google's been doing for years already with their Gmail. You want your website to be indexed by them? Send them an email. Okay. A man of few words, but powerful ones. Thank you very much, Sean. To close the case for the opposition, Scott McIntyre. I'm pretty sure Sean just made my case for me, but okay, we'll just carry on from there. The question really says it all, and as Susan says, you are the product. If something looks too good to be true, it pretty much probably is. But going back to Bill's point where possession is nine-tenths of the law, I hate to say it, Bill, I think you must be possessed to actually hold that <laughs> point of view. It just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Take a look at the average terms and conditions that are out there, as Sean points out, who should be the opposition, by the way. These things are long and complicated. No one can understand them. And you talk about something as a service, all right? They're going to outsource to person X who gives it to person Y who gives it to person Z. You have lost any sense of where your information is, where that data may belong. As a matter of fact, there are better options out there. You can actually fund them yourselves. There's been great initiatives on Kickstarter, one called Privily, which I personally dedicated some money into, several hundred dollars. They're all about putting more information into a private sense, private control, rather than allowing you to hand over this information into who knows what mega corporations that are going to use it for all sorts of nefarious purposes. Okay, thank you very much, Scott. <laughs> a man who's put his money where his morals are. You've got 15 seconds to decide your vote here. Are we just a piece of digital data? Are we digital slaves? Bill has now upped his offer. He was going to show us his if we showed him ours, but he'll also throw in a rod on his mower. It's getting more and more tempting. <laughs> and Peter Goodman, Peter has never used Facebook and yet still has followers. Jesus never used Facebook. Jesus had followers. Coincidence? I think not. Okay. We'll wrap up the voting there. Let's go to the big pie chart of death. Oh, a strong win by the negative in this case. Congratulations, Eugene Kaspersky, Susan Landau, and Scott McIntyre. Give them a round of applause. This brings us to our third topic. SCADA devices, I know what they are, Eric, if you need any help, <laughs> should be disconnected from the internet now, exclamation mark. Kaspersky, McIntyre and Osteen will debate against Byers, Gutman and Cayley. Eugene Kaspersky, SCADA devices should be disconnected from the internet now. 
uh, SCADA system says actually that depends who is owner of the SCADA system. If I use it at home just to just to blow my balloons uh, for the kids, why not? It's connected to the internet. My kids are blowing the balloons, having the internet connection, no problem. Uh, but if it's installed somewhere in a nuclear power plant, so if I have just one answer, yes or no, connected or disconnected, definitely disconnected. If there is a nuclear power plant close to me and SCADA systems are connected, I will move 100 kilometers away from this zone, or maybe to New Zealand. <laughs> oh, it must be serious if you're offering to move to New Zealand, Eugene. Okay. For the negative, Eric. Well, absolutely not. SCADA systems should not be um, removed off the internet. And with all due respect to Eugene, how is his kids going to learn about uh, nuclear reactors if they can't get into them? <laughs> but seriously, we do need our SCADA systems on the internet. We do need to be able to access them so we can support them. Otherwise, we're going to create the largest denialist service in the world. I mean, we all know about Stuxnet. Stuxnet uh, was out there to destroy something, to turn off these um, centrifuges. Um, well, you'll do the same thing when you knock off the remote support. All of a sudden, hey, uh, I need to be able to get into that airport, be able to control that airport, um, be able to manage it. It's in trouble. Um, well, the expert happens to be in Sydney and the airport's in Darwin, and nobody can land. What are you going to do? Tell them to drive up? Um, so you have to have remote support. You have to be able to get to those SCADA systems. Okay. Thank you very much, Eric. To continue the argument that they should be disconnected from the internet now, Scott McIntyre. So I certainly understand why Eric has the view he does. Obviously, his job kind of depends upon this. He's got a vested financial interest in your nuclear reactor being accessible to hackers in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, it doesn't really matter where. However, for the rest of us, it kind of matters. As a matter of fact, the question is slightly phrased. They never should have been connected in the first place. What were we thinking? It reminds me of that thing of going to the doctor. Hey, doctor, it hurts, it's, it hurts when I do this. Stop doing that, right? We made this problem. We can fix this particular problem. The, Many years ago in the Netherlands, one of the, uh, the, the national uh, railway station had uh, a bunch of things come up on the, the railway sign saying that this system was somehow broken. And that press jumped on it and said it was a SCADA compromise. Look out, look out, look out. It was a watchdog reset, but the press lumped onto the word watchdog and decided that watchdog hacked the SCADA systems. The response from the national railway station, what are we, idiots? We're not going to put these things online. And that is absolutely the correct response. These things shouldn't be on the internet. We have to protect ourselves and we just need to move on from it. Okay, thank you very much, Scott. <laughs> Peter Goodman, your arguments against the uh, topic, please. So I assume everyone here knows that SCADA systems are basically slightly less secure than a really insecure thing. But we're looking at this the wrong way around. Of course we don't want SCADA systems taken offline. Imagine this scenario. North Korea announces a new missile launch. So we use SCADA to flush every toilet in Pyongyang at the same time. The resulting water hammer breaks all their plumbing. And then we just embargo shipments of half-inch pipe and washers to them until they dismantle the nuclear missile program because we can hold on longer than they can. Um, Iran, again with their nuclear weapons program. We tell them, shut it down, or we'll simply turn every traffic light in Tehran red and leave it there. Even more importantly, the US, stop sending us episodes of Twilight or we shut down all the nuclear reactors. It's quite simple. So no way do we want SCADA systems taken offline. Well, internet-connected SCADA systems have the potential to create world peace. Okay, thank you very much, Peter. Final speaker in favour of the topic that SCADA devices should be disconnected from the internet now. Take it away, Marco Ostini. 
Well, Peter made some good uh, points there. But um, Mark Fabro described a, a turbine power station like being a jet engine on crack. It's pretty attractive. But if we're going to use analogies, then SCADA would really be like a lemming with a lobotomy on acid. <laughs> it is just totally incapable of knowing what to do. Like, SCADA is from Mars and information security is from Venus. They don't even talk the same language. How can, they, how can you possibly hope that SCADA is ever going to be suitable for being connected to the internet? Sorry. And um, the reality is all of us have to pay the consequences. It's a personal payment for things that go wrong. You lose, your, you, you lose the lights and you, all your toilets get flushed. So get SCADA off. Okay, thank you very much, Marco. That's the final speaker for the affirmative. Have you made your mind up yet? Are you still either way on this one? Perhaps Bill Cayley can convince you. Final speaker for the negative. That SCADA devices should be disconnected from the internet now. Take it away, Bill. Well, very, very simply, you know, with my carbon tax coming really soon now, I want to know here, particularly up here in beautiful Queensland, you know, beautiful one day, perfect for next, of course, I want to know when I, when I really want to turn off my air conditioner, so I'll do the right thing, get out of the house, go for a walk, go to the pool, cool down without using power. Now, I can only do that if I have access to my brand new, all-purpose, singing and dancing, skater electricity monitor system, which I want to have in my house ready to go. So I want access to that. Moreover, you know, if we turn it off, if we turn off skater off the internet right now, Will my Holden car function? I don't know. I haven't looked under the bonnet for years. We say the, the hood over there. The US uh, we heard there's 20 computers in there, 25 computers in there. I don't know whether they're skated connected back to GM. I've got no idea. So imagine we turn it off, neither happens, but my car stops. But more importantly than that, simply and simply, Straightforward. Going to wrap you up here, Bill. I want to learn to love my SCAR device. <laughs> I want it to appreciate that I monitor it, I talk to it, and I pet it. Thank you very much, Bill. Okay. I'll give you about 20 seconds, and that's my 20 seconds, not a Bill 20 seconds, which is obviously a bit longer, to make your mind up on this one. What a fact, just the sheer geography that we covered in that debate Dutch railways, Russian reactors, North Korean toilets, we had it all. Eric, your knowledge of the geography of Australia, Sydney to Darwin, long way, nice work. But I think I've got, I think I've got my new definition of the ultimate geek, Eugene, if it's true that you use a SCADA system to blow up balloons for your kids. That's about as nerdy as it can get. Most of us use the traditional <laughs> method. But anyway, I will close the voting now. Let's have a look at the pie chart. Whee, it's been won by the affirmative. Congratulations. That's Scott McIntyre, Marco Ostini and Eugene Kaspersky have got away with that one. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> Topic number four. My postman already knows my name and address anyway, so it doesn't need protection on the internet. Eric Byers, Scott McIntyre and Marco Ostini will take up the cudgels for the topic. They'll be opposed by Brad Barker, Eugene Kaspersky and Susan Landau. Eric, lead us away. 
So your name and your addresses are on the internet. Let's face it, it's out there. So is your uh, birth certificate, so is your uh, date of birth, so is your mother's maiden name. It's already out there. There's no point protecting something that's already gone. So if we think we're going to suddenly close down all that information, ah, we're kidding ourselves. That horse has left the barn. Okay, thank you very much, Eric. Brad, what's the argument against what Eric's just said? He's right, that horse has left the barn. But to be honest with you, I like my postman. I can count on him. I like patterns of life that I can anticipate. I know he's going to bring me bills that I don't want to pay. I know he's going to bring me coupons to places that I don't shop. But one thing that the postman still does these days, except for the, the little tiff with the pepper spray and my Doberman pincher, he does patrol the neighborhood and give me a little bit of gossip here and there. Anybody who wants to get a hold of me is going to get a hold of me through electronic means, and everything is largely automated. It's also automated for the bad guys. If they know where all of your stuff is, they can geotag you. They can, if they can geotag you, then they can track your patterns of life, and then you yourselves are vulnerable, and you can automate that target selection, and they can reach out and touch you in a not-so-good way. Okay, thank you very much, Brad. Scott McIntyre for the affirmative. Sorry, what's a postman? Um, um, as a matter of fact, if I take a look at recent headlines of the United States, the U.S. Postal Office is, is pretty much out of money and had to receive a massive financial bailout just to continue delivering gossip because apparently they're not delivering letters and parcels and so on. So really the issue here is, is, is about what can you do to secure the information that really matters to you. My name and address is an opt-in thing that I decide to give to someone, so should it be online as well. So there's a lot more more important information that we should be focusing on. I agree with my, my, my colleague to the left over here, that, you know, there's other things, all right, this bit maybe is too late, doesn't really matter anyway, but there are secure options that we can take advantage of. Here in Australia, there's something called Airlock, which requires, for example, physical identity um, upon delivery of important parcels, things like iPhones, iPads, and other iDevices. Is Android still a product? I can't remember. Never mind. Moving on. So I think that we need to take a look at what it is that we want to secure online. Name and address, really not the issue. I honestly cannot remember the last piece of paper post that I received that wasn't junk mail. So if that means that we put this information out there and I don't get spam anymore through the physical post, I'm good. Okay. Thank you very much, Scott McIntyre. <laughs> Arguing against the topic that my postman already knows my name and address anyway, so it doesn't need protection on the internet. Arguing against... Eugene Kaspersky. Um, it's not possible to stop all the bad guys. Of course, there is a, still there is a crime, uh, but it doesn't mean that they don't need to have protection. It's no, there is no such a thing as a 100% protection. We can be close to that. So uh, I'm going to ask this question in a different way. Um, are there illegal immigrants in Australia this year? Does it mean that they don't need border control in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm still trying to work out what a postman is, but anyway, to close the debate for the affirmative, Marco Ostini, final speech in favour of the proposition. So it's just, it's not just my postman who has my, uh, who knows where I live. Uh, and I've never met the postman. Every time I like see them zoom past, throwing stuff out the, you know, at the, at the mailbox, it's a different person, you know. And they do it at weird times. But it's not just the postman; it's the courier delivery person as well. It's basically anyone who sends me a bill. They know where I live. And 
you know, that information, that horse has bolted, it left the yard, it's four, you know, kilometres away, it, you know, it's in a relationship with a nice stallion, they're thinking about settling down. I mean, that horse is gone. Um, I would definitely highlight the very good point my colleague Scott made, which is that there is much more important information for people to focus on to protect. Things that can actually actively be used against you and will cost you personally. So, yes, I, um, Postman has my details, it's too late. Okay, thank you very much, Marco. Yeah, give him a round of applause, don't be shy. Our final speaker against the topic, can she sway you to vote for the opposition? Take it away, Susan. So, first of all, I want to correct something. Postmen don't bring dog spray. I've never had that problem. Postmen bring dog biscuits, okay? So that the dog is happy to see the postman. I don't know where you live. Um, but let's face it, the whole issue is context. And right now, the information on the internet is dirty. It's dirty in the following sense. I get email, I have a Gmail account that I, that I only use occasionally, but on that mail account, I have a whole collection of email for different Susan Landau's, and I write back and I say, you have the wrong Susan Landau, and I've collected it for at least two different Susan Landau's now. Um, I got a check once from UC Berkeley that came to me. It was reimbursing me for, I thought, a talk I'd given, but then I realized that I hadn't put in money for the talk, and when I sent mail back to Berkeley, they said, oh, oh, this is for the plane flight and the, um, the taxi, that all sounded good, and the hotel, that sounded good, for the neuroscience conference you attended. And <laughs> I had not gone to a neuroscience conference. It took a certain amount of effort. So the point is that it's really useful to have that dirty information on the internet because it gives you a certain amount of privacy. If the US Postal Service starts publishing the authoritative information, it's all over, gang. So no, no, no. OK, thank you very much, Susan. There you go. Look, in your case, Susan, your, your CV is so long, you may well have a PhD in neuroscience and you've forgotten that you got it. But anyway... Actually, the National Science Foundation called me the other day and they wanted to know uh, about how I'd done on a postdoc with, uh, on, on a, uh, a graduate fellowship. And I said I didn't have a graduate fellowship from the NSF. I'd had a postdoc and they said no, a graduate fellowship. And then they wanted my date of birth and they called me randomly. But I decided to give it to them. They said, oh, that's wrong. And I said, what's the field? And they said, cognitive neuroscience. And I said, oh, she's at Berkeley. There you go. Problem solved. It all comes back. There's always one moment in the afternoon of the speed debate where it goes a little bit weird. And we've just had that moment. Postmen with pepper spray, horses settling down in mature adult equine relationships. But nonetheless, you do have to make your decision. It was Eric, Scott and Marco who argued for the proposition. Brad, Eugene and Susan against it. The topic was my postman already knows my name and address anyway so it doesn't need protection on the internet. I'll close the voting now. Let's tally it up. This is the crucial fourth debate in the afternoon. I will, at the end of the day, also be releasing who's been the most successful individual debater. This one's been won by... Oh, overwhelmingly, by the negative. That was Brad, Eugene and Susan. Oh, there you go. Congratulations. Let's move on to topic number five. It's our Star Wars-themed topic, friends. Let's use the force. Corporations and governments are the empire. Anonymous and splinter groups are the rebel alliance. I presume you're all familiar with the film. Yes, OK. Brad Barker, Susan Landau and Marco Ostini will argue for the proposition. Eric, Peter and Sean, you'll argue against. So kicking it off, the corporations and government are the empire. 
Anonymous and Splinter Groups are the Rebel Alliance. Take it away, Brad. Corporations and government are the evil empire. Proliferation of all the control, the financials, understanding rules and regulations that we don't have complete access to, decisions made behind closed doors, small little propositions that are, that are put to the public through C-SPAN, which no one really ever re watches. There needs to be a unit of measure that stands against this evil atrocity that is dominating the universe. And this hope are these hacktivist groups and these other groups that take these government and corporate alliances that stand virtually unchallenged and give us all, the citizens, a voice and hope for the future so that we can fight against this oppression. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Brad. Nice work. A rousing call to arms. Who's going to try and slap that down? Over to you, Eric. Well, Brad, as a government uh, employee and somebody who's worked in the government, I think you have far too high an opinion of the government. Um, <laughs> it's just not that organized. I, I can't... Uh, <laughs> I just can't imagine the government ever being organized enough to be an evil empire, or maybe sort of a stumbling empire, um, an accidental... Uh, well, just sort of a mess. Um, so I, I don't think it can possibly be the evil empire. Now on to Anonymous. Uh, again, Anonymous, well, it's obviously not that organized, but it's um, not also got a clear vision of where it wants to go. It's sort of stumbling around and lost. And uh, as I remember the uh, Star Wars uh, movies, there was a real clear division of where we are going, what the vision is. And I don't think either one of those organizations, either one of those two groups can claim that. Um, so there's no chance that uh, that analogy plays. Uh, there's just too much confusion. Everybody's a mess. Everybody's disorganized. Nobody's the empire and nobody's the alliance. Okay. Thank you very much, Eric. <laughs> Susan Landau, as the only female in this debate, you are effectively the Princess Leia, but you are also at the same time arguing for corporations and governments being the empire. Take it away. So. Anonymous has a strong sense of what they want, and they're trying to impose it on us a bit. And in that sense, it's a little bit like the Tsar and Lenin and the dictatorship of the proletariat. But if you remember your Marx, after a while, the dictatorship of the proletariat withers away, and you get a de democratic state where the people are in charge. And it took a while for the... Uh, dictatorship of the proletariat to wither away, and it maybe didn't wither away for very long. But one can always hope. So, of course, of course the analogy holds. Thank you very much, Susan. Yes, over to you. There's a lot of applause involved in this speed debate, but there's a lot of quality thought coming out here, so don't be shy. As the microphones go down, give your congratulations to our speakers. Peter Goodman, your turn to take up the cudgels against the proposition. So we're being asked to believe that corporations are literally an imaginary bogeyman from a 1970s science fiction film popular with geeks, and anonymous are the sort of feel-good collection of fuzzy nobodies fighting this generic evil guys. But let's look at this for a minute. These rebels, they have their own uniforms. They can field entire space fleets big enough to take on the Imperial fleet. Who's behind these guys? These aren't just random rebels, it's just another empire. I mean, notice how after George Lucas made the three Star Wars films, he never made a fourth one showing what happened after the rebels won. The purges, the death marches, the forced labour camps, the death squads. So, I would say bad analogies are like slightly runny cauliflower cheese. If anything, look at it this way. The corporates are that guy from American Psycho, particularly Sony, um, and anonymous are Yogi Bear. Okay, thank you very much, Peter Goodman. Marco Ostini, over to you to close the case for the affirmative. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> 
So governments. Um, Eric pointed out, you know, they're okay in a very nihilistic kind of a way. They can't organize, you know, a drink in a brewery. You know, they're not going to hurt you. Well, he has a point. Governments have to focus on getting re-elected. You know, they can't really focus on actually doing what matters, what's really good for the populace, you know. They have to do what will get them voted back in, you know. And sometimes what matters isn't what's going to get them voted back in. Uh, corporations, well, look, corporations are so evil. You know, even Peter alluded to how evil they were, especially Sony. But... Um, so the, the, the thing is, corporations, you could easily argue, are responsible for the collapse of Constantinople, which meant that, you know, like electricity and internet was, like, delayed 300 years. Thanks a lot, corporations. At least Anonymous and these hacktivists are doing what they do with clear intent, you know, as, clear, as close as you can get with purity of intention on the internet, all that, you know. And, and generally, they do it from their conscience, and they call it how they see it, you know. You've got to respect... They're fighting the good fight. Good on them. Thank you very much, Marco Ostini. That's the end of the affirmative case. The final speaker against the topic. The corporations and governments are the empire. Anonymous and splinter groups are the rebel alliance. Take it away, Sean Velasquez. So I really like how you're saying that they're honourable in their intentions. I kind of take them as seriously um, when I'm on their chat channels, as we probably all are looking at what they're talking about, if they're serious they'll at least use five F-bombs in one sentence. <laughs> I've read every single Star Wars book, yes, I'll admit it. I watched every movie, and I only watched the prequels because I was hoping Jar Jar Binks would die. <laughs> <laughs> I want to leave you with a couple points. One, Gillard doesn't even look like Palpatine, but hopefully if she put the Vader mask on, I'd be able to listen to her. <laughs> the Rebel Alliance actually was organised... And last time I checked, the rebels weren't rocking around in Guy Fawkes masks pretending to be anonymous. They actually had balls and went and fought them head on. OK, thank you very much, Sean. Yes, I think amongst our six speakers, there were two, Peter and Sean in particular, who've watched every single DVD, including the extras. I think Peter pretty much could have given his speech in Ewok if we'd asked him to. But anyway... <laughs> You've got another five seconds to go with your vote. If you're voting for the affirmative, you agree they've convinced you corporations and government are the empire, anonymous and splinter groups are the rebel alliance, or you might want to go with the negative on that statement. Let's see who's got away with this one. Oh, the tension of it all. Come on, Pope. Oh, overwhelmingly won by the negative. Hey. Our final topic for the day. Turnkey security appliances are dumbing down our IT professionals. Brad, Peter and Sean will take the affirmative. Eric, Bill and Scott will close the negative. Take it away, Brad Barker. Turnkey security appliances are dumbing down our IT professionals. Over to you, Brad. They certainly are. They're selling a peace of mind in a box. And unfortunately, the unintended consequence of buying this peace of mind in a box is that the actual raw details on how these exploits work and what the countermeasures are and the science behind them, that is being lost. That is, that is security atrophy that is the unintended consequence of reaching into your pocket, spending a certain amount of money, buying a, a slick trifold brochure that tells you all of these bad guys are going to go away. So yes, I believe categorically it's dumbing down this entire prospect. Okay, thank you very much, Brad. Eric, you've got the microphone. Use it. Refute the topic. <laughs> so, with all due respect to Brad, um, 
there's, you know, look at uh, programming. Let's move away for security for a second and, and say, now would you say that uh, the use of modern programming languages has dumbed down the profession and we should all go back to assembler? Let's just do all our development in assembler. Or, or let's move back a little further and uh, let's just use abacuses. Uh, um, Oh, no. Okay. Brad, did you do that? Anyway. <laughs> um, so we actually have a job to do. We're, as security professionals, we're full-time busy already. We don't need to make it harder on ourselves. In fact, we'd be better if we could unload some of that heavy lifting into those devices, and then we could actually sleep at night. We could actually get the job done. Because I don't think being up at 4 in the morning and trying to program your firewall or setting up your IDS at 4 in the morning is going to give you good security. It's just going to give you a lot of mistakes. So the easier we make it, the more sleep we get, the more security we're going to have. There you go. Thank you very much, Eric. Peter Gutman, your last submission for the afternoon, please. So, okay, we're arguing that, you know, let's say you're plugging in some namby-pamby managed security appliance, you plug this in and then you're safe. And you don't even need to be smart enough to see whether the light on the front's blinking because that's outsourced to some call center in India. The argument is that's dumbing us down. On the other hand, consider the situation a friend of mine ran into recently, and I'll have to check my notes to make sure I get this right. Um, he, ran into, he had a large corporate network that had uh, four Dell PowerConnect managed switches and two separate stacks with no trunks somehow connected to a SonicWall E-Class with both WAN interfaces not really going anywhere. And after about a day of tracing this through a wiring cabinet that looked like an explosion at a Cat5 factory, he found out that their entire WAN interface was a Slackware 4 box running SmoothWall. So security appliances, you know, it takes serious talent to create a mess that big. So security appliances aren't dumbing it down. As long as we can get some Linux crackhead to run an entire corporate's fiber network over an old 486 running smooth wall, we really don't need to worry about anything else being dumbed down. <laughs> Very much, Peter. Can I just take this opportunity to say I did not understand a single thing you said just now. I, I, I understood every individual word but the order in which you chose to put them then rendered the entire speech meaningless to me, but I'm sure, except when you said crackhead. I went, OK, now, Bill Cayley, your final submission for the afternoon, sir. You're negating this topic. Of course not. It is very simple, very simple indeed. Our IT professionals, our computer professionals, our teachers, our professors, our students are the absolute best. They're the top people. They're experts. They do crypto. They do key management. They understand access control. They do see an assembler for afternoon tea, for recreation purposes. They know internet protocols backwards, and they even do a little bit of Ida Pro reverse engineering for dessert. Oh, hold on. I thought I was in China. Ooh, okay, I like it. Goes down swinging. Yours now, Sean Blassus, your last speech for the afternoon. You are in favour of the topic. What have you got to say? I'm pretty concerned because we've been drinking from the same water, so I have no <laughs> idea what you are on about. Uh, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, uh, there have been a lot of valid points around complexity in our networks, etc. Um, what I found is that there's definitely a difference between pre-sales and what you get on a piece of paper and what actually happens at the end of the day. Um, and unfortunately, these turnkey solutions that we're putting in place are fundamentally flawed. I came across an example just recently where a lovely, prominent, large antivirus company, and it's not owned by a guy sitting at this table, <laughs> could not scan Java and JavaScript. 
but it's one of the biggest antivirus companies in the world, and apparently it's supposed to work, but where's the threat? So, that. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Sean. That's the final submission for the affirmative on this topic. Our final speech for the afternoon, negating that turnkey security appliances are dumbing down our IT professionals, Scott McIntyre. Just like to say, you two might be drinking from the same water, but I'm sure not. Anyway, um, turnkey is not turn solve, right? That's something that we have to get very much in mind here. We have to know that the human component, the meatware, the brains, the education, the intelligence is still more required than ever. A simple three-second wander around the exhibit floor, there are hundreds of appliances that are out there. If you can figure out how to make them all interoperate correctly, you're one of the smartest people at this conference, right? Because they do not plug and play. It is not just blinking lights. And if you really believe that that's all it is, you're clearly the crackhead. So one of the best examples is actually antivirus because some of the things that antivirus does as a sort of turnkey solution, whether it be an appliance model or an application running on your desktop, is obviously done by some of the smartest people in the entire industry. And yes, I'm saying that because he might have a gun. But... Um, <laughs> As the saying goes, it is certainly a sign of insanity to repeat the same action over and over and inspect a different outcome. These appliances, when correctly deployed by people who know what they're doing, who continue to monitor and learn and work with them, can actually yield useful information that can help us do our jobs a lot better. It's not turn solve. It takes time. You've got to put the key in the car. You've got to drive. But you actually have to get achievable results. So, chunky. Thank you very much, Scott McIntyre. There you go. I'm not sure if we've resolved the topic, but we have come out with a self-diagnosis test for crackheads, which is an achievement in itself. This is our final topic of the afternoon, your final chance to vote. And don't forget, at the end of this, I'll announce who's been the most successful debaters overall as well. So your contribution to this vote also goes to our overall tally. Brad, Peter and Sean were on the affirmative. Eric, Bill and Scott were on the negative. Turnkey security appliances are dumbing down. Our IT professionals closed the voting. Let's see which way it went. Who got away with this final debate? Oh, one just by the negative. Congratulations. That was Bill and Scott and Eric. So as I tally up the various... Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. No, there's no, there's no minuses. You get zero if you're wrong. No one was more wrong than other people at any stage. But I have... Okay, here we go. First of all, can we give a round, of, a round of applause to our entire panel? A great afternoon's thinking. No one failed to win a debate, which is good. Some people failed to win lots of debates a bit more effectively than others. Locked on 25% success rates for the afternoon. Bill Cayley, Marco Ostini and Peter Gutman. Give them a round of applause. Coming in on 50%, as my friends at university in engineering degrees used to say, 51, wasted effort, 49, wasted year. <laughs> on 50%, congratulations, Eric Byers, Sean Vlasis and Brad Barker. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> then the cream starts rising to the top. On 60%, Scott McIntyre, showing years of experience there. Well played, Scott. Three from five. Yeah, not bad. That leaves only two on 75%. Three successes out of four topics. Susan Landau, fantastic to have you along this afternoon, Susan. But I don't think we've had one of these before in the five years of speed debating. 
100% success. Every topic attempted, he was on the winning side. Eugene Kaspersky. Well done, Eugene. Give them all another big round of applause. What a fantastic speed debate. If not before, we'll see you at next year's speed debate. Congratulations, panel. I think we've got some closing remarks now.